You are listening to the On The Wrong Lead podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at wrong underscore lead, youtube.com slash on the wrong lead, and visit our website at on the wrong lead.com. Help support On The Wrong Lead by signing up for AM Wager and earn 10% back up to $500 on all Exotic and WinBets made in your first 30 days. Use our link in the podcast notes. You can also support us by buying a t-shirt or other merch at ontherwronglead.com. Hello and welcome. This is something that uh, Andrew and I have been talking about probably for a couple of months. We've been talking about this since, I don't know, Sometime before Saratoga, when we were supposed to go to Saratoga, I was supposed to go to Saratoga. I was going to say, go. I did go to Saratoga. Yeah, Sarato. you did go, but uh, we've just been talking, uh, you know, you, you've been wanting to get back into content creation. You know, I know you've been doing some Twitch streams. You've been uh, hopping on our streams and stuff. And I was just like, hey, like, I know you used to do podcasts. You haven't been doing something lately. Like, let's do something. Like, you know, I... I tried doing the solo thing for a little bit. It's kind of tough. It's always great to have someone to bounce ideas. So this is the inaugural uh, episode of Drinking Champagne. It's not Sunday, right? It's not. We're not doing. Uh, we're not doing mimosas. And I. Uh, it's it's Friday night actually, and and I have bourbon. Uh, but I don't know. I thought it was a catchy name, so we went with it. But Andrew, how are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. I, I appreciate the idea. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, gee, me with a live microphone. Am I going to ever say no to that? I don't think so. No. Uh, but we've got a lot of ground that we can potentially cover with this stuff. It's something where we're going to try to present some things that are a little bit off the beaten path. There's tons of different podcasts out there that have horse racing top of mind. Obviously, there are going to be times where we go through certain sequences or we go through certain races and whatnot. But there are also a lot of other elements to this great game that we talk about a lot, but that don't necessarily get shared in this sort of format. And one of those things we're actually going to hit on this show. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, it was really funny because, you know, we we kind of been, I don't know, we kind of been brainstorming how, where we wanted to go with this. And you said something in one of the group chats that we're in. You said, man, I really just love California fair racing. And you kind of just like wrote out a paragraph. And all I could think about is like, I don't know anything about California fair racing. Like that, that's just something I, I've never, I've never really bet on it. I've never really watched it. Maybe I've fired a race at Pleasanton here and there when, when they run, I think they run between like Santa Anita and Los Alamitos. They run Um, in the summer. Yeah. And Pleasanton, we'll talk a little bit more, but that's just a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah. And I know that you've been doing, you've done some work uh, for them uh, by doing like handicapping seminars and stuff out there. I think you said recently you'd uh, maybe your dad did one or or your dad came out with you. So um, yeah, I mean, talk to me, talk to me about uh, California fair racing here. Sure. Uh, I guess the, the easiest place to start would be my introduction to it. I moved to Northern California in early 2018, and around that time, the then track announcer for the uh, carp circuit was one Chris Griffin, who is now going to be moving on and doing aqueduct starting in January of next year. Hardest working man in horse racing, Mm -hmm. folks. Guy is just a machine. But he was looking around, and he was looking for people in Northern California to potentially bring on for his handicapping seminars at Pleasanton. If you've never been to Pleasanton, first of all, go. But to paint you a picture, there is a stage outside the grandstand that is sometimes used for performances and concerts and whatnot. 
Well, before each racing day, it's used for handicapping seminars that usually feature the track announcer, Dennis Miller, who has been around forever at Pleasanton, and a guest. And it just so happened that, you know, I did one day with him, had a blast, absolutely loved it. Starting in 2019, I did a lot more with Pleasanton specifically, but also started venturing to some of the other Northern California fairs, Santa Rosa, Sacramento, Fresno. It's a really cool circuit. And the easiest way that I can sum it up is a lot of places and a lot of systems in this game sometimes make it hard to be a racing fan. Look at the Belmont Stakes undercard this year. It was garbage. I remember working at Santa Anita not long ago. Every Saturday at Santa Anita meant something. And that wasn't that long ago. That product started to fall off. It's one of those instances where this industry seems to be giving people reasons to not go. At Pleasanton, at the other fair tracks, it's easy. I've been at Saratoga a while. You see the pink sheets up here on my wall. I love Saratoga. Saratoga is a cathedral. You run a graded stakes race on a weekday, you can hear a pin drop on the apron sometimes. You run a $2,500 claimer at Pleasanton or at Fresno, and the crowd is screaming. <laughs> it's good for the soul of a racing fan. Highly recommend a trip to any of those fairs, whether it's Pleasanton, Fresno, Sacramento, Santa Rosa, even Ferndale, way, way, way up north, up by Eureka. It's a really cool atmosphere. And it's one of those things where personally, I appreciate the timing of Pleasanton more than anything else, because that comes right before Saratoga it fills my tank. And after a couple of weeks of that, I'm, I'm good to go. It's just it's so much fun. And it reminds a lot of people of why they fell in love with racing in the first place. Yeah, I, you know, you had said that, and I was like, I think you, you referred to it as like a mini Saratoga, and I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a second, right? Well, you know, I've, I call Santa Rosa the Saratoga of the Northern California fairs. Personally, it's not necessarily my scene, but with Pleasanton, there is so much enthusiasm in particular, and I'm not trying to bash any of the other fairs. But you go to Pleasanton and you see grandstands getting filled no matter how hot it is. And Josh, it gets hot up in Northern California, especially once you get out from the bay where there's a cold fronts coming in and it can get a little bit chilly during the summers. You go through the tunnel that goes inland and all of a sudden the temperature starts creeping up and up and up. There are some hot days out there, but there's just so much passion and there's so much love of the game at these Northern California fairs. It's so freaking cool. And it is one of those instances where you look at the field sizes like we're going to and say, oh, they're small fields. Da, 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 da. The in-person atmosphere is just, I don't want to say it's unmatched, but it's about as good as it gets. Yeah, so I've never been to a state fair or a county fair or anything like that. So I don't really know what just in general the the fair atmosphere is, but you know, like I, I've seen movies, I, I've, I've seen pictures of it. You know, people always post all the crazy food you see, like specifically in like the Wisconsin state. Dave Weaver had a segment on TVG at the, uh, the old Fairplex Pomona, where he would go around and go, will Dave eat this? And it was a whole <laughs> bunch of deep fried stuff. Yeah, it, it, that's, that's legit. So is this like, are these tracks like basically in the middle of like the fair area or are they kind of like separate from it? Like, like how does that kind of work? 
Well, it depends on the layout of wherever it is you wind up going. But for the most part, yeah. I mean, there's rides in one part of the fairgrounds, at least at the Alameda County Fair, but you walk maybe, oh, 200 yards, and all of a sudden you're at the grandstand of the horse racing venue. The paddock's right there. You've got a little sort of OTB type section inside the grandstand. There's places where you can get food. There's bars. It's, you know, it's such a cool little addition to that. And it's a case where I grew up in New York. We had county fairs and they do them pretty well because they're rural areas and county fairs are the big deal every summer. I've been to good county fairs. I go here and I'm like, wait a minute. This is some of the same stuff I grew up with. And I can go gamble. This is wonderful. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I mean, if you can get like a funnel cake and a hot dog and then just go walk over and watch some horse racing and, and you know, put some money through the windows. I mean, that sounds like a good time to me. You know, maybe maybe have a couple beers and, and, and you're all set there. Uh, the rides I could do without. Um, it was actually kind of funny. My uh, my wife's going to uh, Disney World um, in January with uh, her sister-in-law and her niece and, and I mean obviously my niece as well but um she was talking about all the rides she wants to go on and I was just like that was like my least favorite part of like going to Disney like I just like like seeing the stuff like I don't want to get on the, on the rides and like she's all excited for the rides and I'm like mm, I think I can do without that but the food I mean I I do want to drink myself some blue milk you know mm-hmm. I haven't been to Disney World in a long time since uh the Star Wars acquisition but uh uh, you know, I know, I know as a, I don't know, are you a Disney guy? I know you're a fellow nerd, but are you a Disney guy? I've got my Disney plus subscription out there. I've seen <laughs> the Marvel movies. I, they, there's a certain amount of Disney I do. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I like the way that you described it, you know, just like I said, in the chat and, and just even talking about it now, I mean, it, it just sounds like, like a great time. And that, and that's one of the things I actually really like about Saratoga. Um, you know, at, at Arlington obviously is no more. Arlington is the racetrack I'd been to the most. Um, I'm relatively new to the game. I've only been following it maybe three, four, five years. So I, 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 it all melds together now with the pandemic. I forget how many years ago Justify was, but that was obviously the first derby I saw um, or the first derby I bet on. I, I watched the Kentucky Derby every year growing up, which is just like a weird thing. Like it was just on TV. So I watched it and I, I remember all kinds of stuff. Like I remember Barbro. I, I remember Eight Bells. You know, I remember bunch of stuff from uh you know i remember bob baffert the silver-haired guy uh but uh yeah it wasn't until that justify year really started following it but you know i i started going to arlington you know once a month then it kind of became like maybe twice twice a month you know and when they finally closed down you know i I tried to go as much as i can and the best way i could describe arlington is like going to like a sports stadium right it was like going to um like going to like a like a hockey game or going to a basketball game, right? You walk in, they got the concourse and they got uh, you know you got your food and stuff, and you go out and you watch the stuff. But like, so I'd done that a couple times, and I went to Saratoga, and I'm like, this is just completely different. Like, yeah, like you got the the grandstand and you got the places to get food, you got the places to get beer, but like, you can bring a cooler in. Like, you could just hang out. It's like a park. You could just chill and like, and that's what we did. We rolled a cooler in. We were just hanging out there with beers and tablets. And, like, you know, yeah, we would sometimes go watch the races in person. Sometimes we watched it on the TV. Something like it was just, it was just a, like an awesome experience. Like just being outside in the summer, beautiful weather, just like 
I don't know. It was like nothing I'd ever seen with horse racing before. And then I went to Hawthorne and I was like, oh, this is what most people think about when they think about what a horse track is nowadays. Uh, you know, it's not not the Arlington's. You know, Arlington's a beautiful facility. I don't know if you'd ever been before, but beautiful facility, top notch, like very modern. It, it reminds me of like a small, excuse me, a smaller like Churchill Downs uh, now. And of course, we, we just talked before stream that, I had mentioned I'd never been to California. And you're like, I've never been to Kentucky. And we were just both like, you, we're both crazy. How does this yes. happen? But uh, well, to be fair, uh, I have an excuse. I was supposed to go to Kentucky in 2020 and then the world broke. So that that's my excuse. I got to get back there. But no, you, you hit on a lot of really good points. And it's one of those things where you find the atmosphere you really like and you gravitate to it. In my case, my first trip ever to a racetrack was to that place right back there. If my first trip to a racetrack is to some C or D level track that isn't necessarily around anymore. That's seen better days. Maybe I don't fall in love with the sport, but I went here as soon as I learned how to walk pretty much. I never had a chance. I was, you know, I was from there and you start looking for places like that. I, I, I need to at running the risk of pouring salt in an open wound. You mentioned how going to Arlington was like going to a professional sports stadium. I think that's the experience the Chicago bears will be going for in a couple of Ooh, years. Wow. Yeah. Here, wow. Let, let me reach down and grab the low hanging fruit. You know, I mean, I normally I just have to deal with Mark giving me crap for for liking the Bet Churchill Downs after they killed my track, but then you just like, you're like, hey, there's a knife here, let's just twist it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you know, it's funny. Um, I have a couple of friends. Uh, one one is kind of a, I don't want to say, uh, I'm saying degenerate, right? He's not really degenerate, but like he likes to go to the casino. Right. We I've gone to the casino with him a couple of times. He's actually a friend of a friend. And he was like, dude, I went to Maywood Park, like Maywood Park. And that was uh, one of the harness tracks that closed down here. And it wasn't like in like a super great area or anything like that. But, um, you know, he's like, dude, he's like, it was so much fun. Like, we just love going. It was a trotter track. And uh, I have another buddy who kind of similar, like he like he, he he likes to gamble. He'll go. And but he's, he's like a blackjack guy. Right. He likes to go play blackjack. You know, he'll bring, you know, a couple hundred bucks to the casino one night and he does it maybe like once or twice a year. He's not like a huge, huge gambler, but he likes to play blackjack and he's same guy, same thing. He's like, dude, we went for my bachelor party and I was like, uh, or I, he went for someone else's bachelor party. He was like, I don't know how this is going to be. He's like, dude, they, they let us go into the truck while they started. Like, it was the craziest thing. It was so much fun. And, and it's like, yes, more of this stuff, please. More of this, like getting people to the track and seeing what it's like and, and, and and I really think that, you know, places like Saratoga has obviously got that, but places like the fair tracks, it sounds like they got it too. Like, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily always have to be a plus tier racing. If you, if the experience is good. Exactly. It's one of those things where look, does the product matter? Absolutely. But as, as I mentioned in the group chat a couple of days ago, one of my biggest scores ever at Pleasanton on a single race win bet was on an Arabian race. Okay. <laughs> that, that gives you an idea and nothing against Arabians, but i never grew up handicapping Arabian horses. I've seen maybe 20 Arabian races in my life. But one thing I learned at Pleasanton is Arabians that are first time starters very rarely win. 
So we had a field of six, five were first time starters. One horse had run before. Okay. That's an auto bet for me. Horse <laughs> off seven to two, one by four or five lengths. And that was a very nice day for me, but it's just one of those things where look again, product matters. People are going to notice if you're putting out something that's substandard, but it's one part of the overall experience. And it's one of those things that makes this sport a lot of fun to watch when you get an atmosphere like that. I mean, even just going back to Saratoga this past summer, there were a couple of days that from a betting standpoint were very tough to look at as far as a form. There were a lot of claimers. There were a lot of fields that weren't necessarily huge, but it's still Saratoga. It still had that experience. You take that, you bottle it, you sell it. You're going to make a lot of money. Yeah, I, I guess before we get into um, into these races here, we're, we're going to take a look at this late pick four here. Um, obviously, you went to Saratoga. Um, you, you handicapped, you know, every day for the pink sheet. What what was your kind of just general thinking of the meet in general? I, I've on my my end, I've heard a lot of negativity. Not like it was awful, but more like it didn't didn't feel like Saratoga. Did, did you kind of have the same thought or uh, or did you kind of think that it was more the same? I ran second and third a lot, Josh. That was my instinct. I ran second and third a ton. Now, as far as the quality of racing goes, I think that's more an indictment on the, the horse population that we have than anything else. I mean, Saratoga is known for these insane performances from horse racing's biggest names. Look at the races life is good as one this year. The Pegasus, the Whitney, now the Woodward. And he's maybe going to finish second beating eight lengths in the Classic by a horse that rarely runs. Jackie's Warrior winning the grade one for the third straight year. That was great. Love that. Absolutely fantastic. But how bad is the sprint division this year? And you look at the two-year-olds, there hasn't been a clear standout on the East Coast. I was really looking forward to seeing what Prank was after that huge performance that she had on her debut, but she got hurt. Thankfully, it sounds like she's going to come back for a three-year-old campaign, and I'm looking forward very, very much to seeing her run again. But I think it's just more of an indictment on the horses that we've got running than anything else. I, if you were voting for champion three-year-old male right now, Yes, Epicenter's fantastic. I'm not disputing the talent level. He's won one grade one. What does that tell you? Really? Only one grade one? The Traverse. That's crazy. At least it's a good one, Yeah. right? Yeah, but Jim Danny's a grade two. The Louisiana Derby's a grade two. I needed him in both of the grade one races in May. Again, running second a lot. It's been a theme for me for quite a while, but... No, it's just, I do think it's more of an indictment on the horses that we've got running now that, than anything else. And whether we want to talk about it or not, and the less we say about this, the better. The story that came out near the end of the meet about the leading trainer left a sour taste in the mouths of a lot of people, and we'll leave it there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I we could, we could sit here and spend um, a lot of time talking about the negatives in horse racing, but, you know, I feel like you and I are both positive people. Like, yeah we'll we'll get we'll get into the weeds and, and and we'll we'll get negative when we need to and and we'll do the whole serious thing but i think for the most part like we we try and 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 show the positive side of horse racing so 
Let's uh, let's take a look at this fun little pick four here. Speaking um, of positives, you're a horse in this sixth race. My God, oh for eleven this season, Josh. Come on now. <laughs> okay, in fairness, I have two. I I just like I said, I capped through this pretty quickly. Uh, I I was a little worried because I was a little short on time, and I was like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna have time to cap this, but I was able to get through it. Luckily, because it, it, they are somewhat shorter fields, but uh, you know, I I think we both agree that we'd like this two horse traffic stopper here um I, I know the one horse which is the one that you're kind of chastising me for but i think we both kind of like this two traffic stopper um to me looks to be probably the speed of the speed in this race maybe the five um you know on brisnet the five doesn't look as fast um and the five you know has been running at grant's pass and i'm guessing fer is at one of the, the other fair tracks ferndale yes the ferndale humble there it's a bull ring it is a very slow surface so take the times and the speed figures with a grain of salt there yeah that's good to know um because when you look at uh the pace figures for speed traffic stopper he just looks faster earlier uh and and he does have a race at, at uh, ferndale as well and and those uh those those pace figures look faster so i'm taking the two here mostly as the speed of the speed um you know Ran second here at uh, at Fresno. I think uh, it might have been last year. My PPs don't go back that far, but uh, I do have it marked that he is uh, got one second place here. So he's got to run over the surface. Obviously, Brisnet likes the horse as the the prime power. I think this massive class drop is probably what they're looking at here. Uh, you know, coming out of that twenty thousand claimer, uh, and before, he'd run two twenty thousand claimers and an allowance sandwiched in there, um, and. I think kind of the same thing with the one is the angle I'm going with here is on this class drop, you know, going from this, uh, this claiming 12, uh, 12,500, um, you know, was an optional claimer, uh, and was running an allowance races his entire time. Um, obviously this is an allowance race, but I think he's going to be having, this is a softer spot for him. Um, so I, I'm taking another, or for her, excuse me, but I'm going to take another shot here with, uh, St. Annie's, uh, Indy. Um, if you go back and look at her um, her races in the fair circuit, you know ran some nice seconds there uh, against uh, another horse that kind of came came through, won their next start, left a key race, then they put him on synthetic. Then I I don't know how much she cared for the synthetic, um, but uh, you know coming back to the dirt, uh, I thought you know getting a little pop off the synthetic. Uh, at a price of five to one, I thought it was an interesting price. So I kind of landed on the one and the two here. Where did you land, Andrew? So we agree on Traffic Stopper as a horse that has a big shot. I like the early speed. Hasn't won in a while, but if you look at some of the horses this one's been running against, Jan Jan Can got very good over the summer at Pleasanton and Sacramento. That's a nice horse. And that horse won both of those races by open lengths. It is, a, in a sense, class relief. And there's every chance traffic stopper goes to the front early and just forgets to stop. The one thing I do want to make note of here, though, is I think they've got the favorite wrong on the morning line. I think number four, Che up and away, is going to go favored, having won two of the last three at Los Al. But I don't like that horse in this particular spot. Some horses really love Los Alamitos. It is a very particular surface. Very, very fast. This horse is 6 for 16 lifetime. Fun horse to own. Eight-year-old mare that's fired some big shots. But what was the excuse two starts ago when she ran a non-threatening fourth of four at a similar level over at Ferndale? 
That's a much different surface, and so is Fresno. I think Shea up and away takes money off of that last start, and as a result, I'm going to try to beat her and maybe get the pick four off to a little bit more of a pricey start, though I do think number five, Hey Wilma, is going to be the second choice, and I think that one is the horse to beat. Really consistent sort going back to late last year. Just always seems to fire. Has a lot of early speed for a barn that's hitting at 41% so far this year. Granted, fairly small sample size, 16 of 39. But this barn knows how to spot horses. Outside speed in a race that doesn't necessarily seem heavy on speed. And also doesn't need the lead in order to run well. If traffic stopper is gung-ho sent to the front early, I think Hey Wilma can set a perfect stalking trip. 2-5 for me in the sixth, trying to beat Shea up and away, who does have talent, but I just think wants Los Alamitos. Yeah, and honestly, when I looked at that uh, that four horse, I mean, the horse was running in those mixed bread races and yeah. was doing really, really well. Um, obviously, anytime had a Pieris aboard, who is the top jock at those mixed bread races, those, those hook races, um, you know, just ran, ran very, very well. Um, Brisnet doesn't put out figures for it. Uh, I know DRF does half the time or they might do their, their other figure. I don't know what, what that, the italicized it's figure. A different figure. Yeah. But yeah. they've got something and as to how it compares to buyers, I don't know. But again, it's just one of those cases where can that horse win? Sure. At the likely price, though, in a race that doesn't seem heavy on early speed, I'll, I'll play against. Race seven, five and a half furlongs here, uh, 12,500 uh, N2X claimer here. Um, and uh, you took an all burger here, which is kind of funny because I singled. Really? Yes, oh, this I singled this race. Okay. <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of curious why. So what what led you to the all burger here? So first of all, I think Meet the Sheriff is a slightly vulnerable favorite in this spot. Does Meet the Sheriff have the ability to win? Sure. I've seen Brian Pena ride. He very rarely gets beat when he's on the best horse. If he's hooked in a stretch duel, I think he's a lousy finisher. And I just don't trust that, especially on a horse that's burned some money of late over the summer and fall months. Two to five, three starts back at Santa Rosa, second beat and a half length. Eight to five, two starts back, third at Golden Gate. Did run a good second last time out and was third at Sacramento over the dirt there. But two to one on the morning line, it just, it seems short to me. The wild card in this race is number six gone somewhere. One of the cool things about the Northern California Fair Circuit, you get shippers from everywhere. Gone Summer has won two in a row and ships in from Arizona Downs. Hi, J.D. Fox. How you doing? Gets the rider coming in, at least listed. We, there might be a rider change. I don't know what the deal is. But if this rider comes in, it's for one mount in a $12,500 stakes or uh, claiming event at Fresno. Just there, there's stuff, there's something there. And it's one of those cases where I wouldn't be shocked if that one wins by four or is last beaten 40. It's one of those things. And every other horse just looks about the same to me. Maybe light in the darkness shows some early speed and proves tough to run down. But that horse has gotten run down a couple of times at a short price. 
I just think these you can make a case for pretty much everybody in here. And I've got a single in the eighth race, as well as only going too deep in the last, going against the morning line favorite. So to me, this was an easy opportunity to buy a race. We're only going six deep by doing so. It's, the ticket cost isn't necessarily affected too much by that. I'm okay with hitting the all button here and just sitting back, relaxing, rooting for a price. And Josh, I hope you have a price that you've singled. So it's kind of funny because I I found my single and – We'll talk about that in a second. But this horse, the four horse Stay Happy, has been in my stable for like a year. And it's really <laughs> funny because I, at this point, I, I put him in the stable and I just completely forgot when I put him. So he's like one of the few horses that like I keep on getting notices of like, you know, he's running. And then like I started realizing like, oh, wait, he's running like at Los Al. And I would look and he's like, you know, the even money favor or, or like, you know, three to two or something. Um, I think it, it what might have been, um, it might have been from this uh, 18th of July race. I think I put him in my stable, and then I caught him that next race. Because I remember I caught him once, and it was funny because I, um, for a time, I was being, I was really just like focused on doing uh, trip notes uh, and like finding these troubled trips and and putting alerts in. And I told Caleb, I'm like, dude, Caleb, there's this horse at Del Mar. I really like him. Like he's coming off a troubled trip. And I'm like, it's it's his horse stay happy. And he's like, that's funny. I also have him in my stable. I wonder why. And so we both looked, we, we both had him. And uh it's it was just a just a fun little uh, you know, both of us had saw that trouble trip and, and, and we both cashed off of it. But he still I still get the alerts like, hey, he's running, he's running, he's running. And uh uh I am against him in this spot. Um mostly because I really like this too, light in the darkness. Uh, Francisco uh, Monroy, uh, Jonathan Wong. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go with the I'm going to go with the single here. Um, if you kind of look back at this horse's races at Pleasanton uh, and uh, just in the fair circuit, I mean, this horse gets out on the front end and he doesn't really seem to stop. I mean, even when he gets caught, I mean, he's still there. So I, I don't know. I think that this is probably um, going to be your pace setter. And I think that I don't really see a ton of just like early, you know, blazing speed. He kind of looks like he might just get loose here. So I'm going to go ahead with this, too. I'm going to single. I'm going to keep my ticket, uh, ticket cheap. And uh, I'm going to go with this, uh, this too. You know, last time out, I mean, they even ran him on the turf. You know, I, I think this is a very versatile horse. And this horse has got speed. I think the only, the only real... I, I don't think he likes synthetic much, but uh, they've tried him a couple times there. But I mean, Jonathan Wong, uh, always live, basically anywhere he ships. Um, and Francisco Monroy is um, he's at least a jockey I recognize from Golden Gate Fields, which is not much I can say about uh, some of these other uh, these other horses or uh, jockeys here. But I'm gonna go with this too. I'm gonna single light in the darkness E8. That's a three cherry special and a single. Three cherries. Wow, that's impressive. That's one strong Shirley Temple right there. Now, Light <laughs> in the Darkness certainly does seem like the main early speed. One thing to point out, and you mentioned the synthetic surface at Golden Gate, every fair track on the circuit is conventional dirt, especially at Pleasanton. I love finding horses whose form has just been darkened to the point of being unrecognizable because they've been running on those synthetic surfaces where form does change. There are some synthetic surfaces that do play more like dirt than others. Golden Gate is not one of them. 
So maybe light in the darkness just doesn't like that synthetic surface. I did give that horse out in one of the seminars at Pleasanton at a crisp, even money because Chuck is my favorite food group. But <laughs> would I be shocked if that one ran away and hid? No, it's just a case where the last couple of starts that horse has, uh, has tired without going super fast. That's my concern. Having said that, though, Francisco Monroy, as you mentioned, he's a good rider, traditionally more so on closers than on front runners. But if he's getting into the Jonathan Wong barn and getting more mounts, that's a very good thing for him. Cool. Let's move on to the feature here. The 75,000 Harris Farm Stakes for Golden this uh, Golden State Series eligible California bred or California sired three-year-olds and up. Um, I believe... Uh, is this where you? Yeah, this is where your single is, right? You uh, talk to me about this two horse, uh, fashionably fast. You're singling here. I really like this race. This race is filled with a lot of horses that always show up. I'll read off the records really quick for these runners: nine of thirty-seven, ten of thirty-two, three for eight, four for eleven, six for thirty-one, eleven of thirty-seven, seven for eighteen. These are fun horses to root for. It's a case where, despite that, there's not a lot of early speed signed on. And I saw your big A by good vibes only. I understand that. But while I think good vibes only goes early, I think fashionably fast sits the dream stalking trip just off of that one. And if you could highlight that local record at Fresno for me, please. Two wins in a second from three starts, won this race last year, over number four, Top Harbor, when that one was in top form. I think fashionably fast. It has the kind of speed that I like, where that horse is going to be forwardly placed, but does not need the lead in order to run well. Fashionably fast doesn't need to go 21 and change 44 in order to have a chance at winning. If good vibes only gets those fractions, fashionably fast can sit a length and a half, two lengths off the pace and come running and get first run on that tiring pace setter turning for home. That race last time out, I thought was very impressive. It has aged very well because that day's third place finisher, how be it, came right back to win a graded stakes race. Might see that one in the Breeders' Cup in a couple of weeks. We've mentioned it already. The sprint division this year, not good. But in this particular instance, I think fashionably fast, is incredibly logical. Tiago Pereira comes up to Fresno for one mount. I love it when jockeys do that. And I think fashionably fast is very much the worst to beat and has every chance to raise that career batting average to 333 with his 11th win in 33 lifetime starts, already earnings of over $800,000. Cool, cool horse, Josh. I really like this horse in this spot. Um, I think this horse is going to get hammered. I think this horse is going to be, I don't know, four to five, three to five. I think that this horse is going to take a ton of money, especially coming off that win at Del Mar. If you kind of look at the form cycle that this horse had right before, um, right before he won this race last year, kind of follow the same thing. Did a couple optional claimers at Del Mar, rounded into form, you know, didn't win those races, but ran very well and then came in here to this Harris farm and, and won. And, and it looks like the horse is doing the same thing. Um, but I just feel like this horse is going to be super short. This is going to be where I fade one of the favorites. 
Um, and uh, I, I went to the three and the four here. Um, you know, I agree with you with the pace scenario. I don't think that there's a lot of pace in this race. I think that this three is going to be your pace setter. Um, Emily Ellingwood has one speed, and it's pedal to the metal. She gets out of the gate, and she goes. And, you know, very similar to uh, Jessica Pfeiffer uh, and numerous, numerous other bug jocks that we've seen in uh, Southern California um, that eventually get their, you know, graduate off the bug status. But they send. They just go. That That's what they do. That's what the, the trainers want them to do. And if John Sadler's calling up Emily, it's, hey, get this horse out of the gate clean. So this horse is going to go, going to get to the front end, um, is coming in from, you know, optional claiming, open optional claimers. Uh, if you kind of go back to when this horse was running in state bred, uh, specifically four back at Santa Anita, you know, horse did very well there. Uh, you know, sat just off, took the lead, and never looked back uh, with Tyler Bays aboard um, back in the 11th of June. I- I'm thinking this horse just goes, gets out, sent out of the gate, and, and goes wire to wire. Um, if for some reason something wacky happens, I also do like the four top harbor here. Um, uh, you know, we did talk about um, that uh, he finished second in this race last year to uh, Fashionably Fast. Um, one thing to note is last year when he lost this race, he was a three-year-old. Now he's four. He's coming off a very long layoff, though, which is a bit of a concern. Um, you know, Fashionably Fast has definitely trained into this, uh, but Fashionably Fast is also seven. You know, tail end of his career, you know, you're going to start to see him kind of, uh, I think, regress a little bit, especially once these dirt horses get around seven or eight, they start to regress a little bit. And generally, dirt horses tend to peak around late three-year-old, four-year-old season. So I could see this four-horse top harbor improving off of this long layoff. Now, this is not exactly something Tim McCanna does very often, but Brisnet does show he is 16% on the long layoff. Uh, you know, he does very well in these non-graded stakes. He gets Asael Espinoza aboard. Um, Asael has not ridden this horse before, but Asael is 25% this year. He's a very good jock over at uh, Golden Gate Fields. Um, so, I don't know. I, I have a good feeling about this horse. Um, is going to need, I think, a little bit of pace to run his best race. Um, but you know, if, if something crazy happens with this three, if he gets, if this three gets uh, hooked up with another horse, if someone else goes, I think it's going to set up nicely for this four horse. So your bonkers horse to an extent is top Harbor. My bonkers horse is two to the outside of that one. And I may well play an ice cold exacta using fashionably fast with Clem Labine. Do me a favor. Cross out the two Delmar races and tell me how much better that horse's form looks. All of a sudden, you're left with a horse that last time out ran second beaten ahead at Los Alamitos. Not exactly a closer-friendly surface, and the start before that came from way back to win an optional claimer at Pleasanton over Cool Mountain Lad, who came right back to win the Oak Tree Sprint. If for some reason Fashionably Fast and Good Vibes Only wind up going quicker than we think early on. I think Clem Levine's got a big shot to rally for a piece of it. And I do think that one is going to drift up from that six to one morning line price for the purposes of the pick four though, single to chalk. Yeah. And what's interesting as well about your uh, six or Clem Levine broke out of the rail spot 
And I will tell you that it, it, I didn't follow LoSal this year. Normally, I do, I do play a little bit of LoSal when they go to uh, the daytime. Um, I didn't play this year, but generally, the inside is bad. The rail is bad. I, uh, my friend uh, Chase Sessoms, the Wolf of Oak Lawn, he has this thing called uh, LARC, Los Al, or Lars, sorry, L-A-R-S, Los Al Rail Shippers. He looks for horses that were on the rail at Los Al that ship elsewhere because he always thinks that those horses are going to improve because the rail is so bad. Now, this horse did go 3-6 wide and rallied late, rallied, uh, and, and the note says too late. Um, so the horse did eventually get outside, but being on the inside at Los Al is generally bad. You know, maybe that was just enough to hamper this horse, and, and maybe you just, you know, you, you mark this horse as, as set to improve. And this horse improving off that last effort, I think, fits in the spot as well. That, that's a good call there on that sixth Clem Levine. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, like I said, he's going to have to improve significantly in order to beat fashionably fast, I think. If this sequence, I think, that really is a pivot point. Do you single fashionably fast or do you go a couple of deep and try to bet against that horse who, I don't know if he's going to be two to five, three to five, but six to five, seven to five, certainly I think seems logical there. I think you take the stance of singling that one and trying to catch a price or two elsewhere. You're trying to catch a price there. Gee, I mean, it's almost like we host a show together and we're trying to come up with competing opinions that people can relate to. It's almost like we know what we're doing. I, I maybe sometimes <laughs> occasionally uh I, I don't know uh but, but speaking of knowing what we're doing apparently we both took the same horses in this uh this ninth oh, race. We did? wow yes okay. uh, i think we both took the one and the three the one uh my spy and the three jc now before we get into it let, let, let me talk about the name jc once i've known one woman by the name of jc and she was a friend of a friend who was going to play. Uh, she was going to be our setter in our volleyball league. Uh, she was she was actually a pretty decent player, but she literally showed up like the first week, and then showed up the second week, and then we're like, "Hey, okay, just so you know, the league fee is whatever." And then she just ghosted us the rest of the time. Oh, that's came cool. back. So you know what? I'm I'm not a big fan of JC's, but um, I I did land on JC here, and, and I think it's kind of similar to um, uh, the what I saw in one of the earlier races. Um, I kind of think that this might be your speed of the speed. I think that this horse is going to get on the front end. Uh, you know, the the two horses also got some early speed, but I, I just think that JC's faster. JC I think is is more lightly raced. And obviously has a little bit more upside, so I can see some improvement off those last couple races. And I think this horse wants to be on the dirt. They ran similar to what you said. They ran this horse at Los Al or not Los Al, excuse me, Golden Gate on the synthetic surface. And I'm I think I'm going to see some improvement coming back to dirt here, especially after that maiden win three back. Uh, it looked like this horse wants to be um, wants to be on the dirt. And you get William Anton Georgie still staying on the on the horse, very very great jock uh, at at Golden Gate. Um, obviously knows how to ride very well uh, in that northern uh, northern California circuit. So the the three JC probably is my top pick, but I also like the one my spy here a little bit. Why don't you talk about the, about the one my spy here? 
Sure. So I'll talk about my spy. And then there is another horse that I want to talk about because this is another one of those roads less traveled horses. But my spy, first of all, you see six to one on the morning line. I'll take the under on that. It's a Jonathan Wong trained class dropper. My guess is you're going to see five to two, three to one. I don't think he's going to be favored, or rather she, but I do think she's going to probably be the second choice in this field. Showed speed against better last time out. If you see a horse that first quarter at Golden Gate go sub 22, that's fast. There was no way that horse had any chance of hanging on. Even against 12-5 non-winners of two-life claimers, takes a big drop into 4,000 non-winners of two-life here, gets the rail. There's going to be no secret about what this horse is going to do. She's going to try to go early beneath Ayuso, who rode her last time out. And Jonathan Wong, a very aggressive trainer. The drop doesn't concern me in the slightest. He drops horses to where he thinks they can win. And he's been very, very good at that for a number of years. JC makes a lot of sense, specifically on the back class too. You look at the two dirt races this horse ran earlier this year. The winner of one was Ashley's Rainbow. She came right back to win. And then JC outdueled a horse named Circle of Royalty, who came right back to win. Those two make sense. Clear win, I think we're both trying to go against. For me personally, it's just a horse that likes to run second, third, and fourth. And after a while, a horse's record, it tells what it is. Quinn Howie is an excellent trainer on this fair circuit. He may win 8% at Golden Gate. He's a candidate to double or triple that on the fair circuit. So there's every chance he makes me look like a fool. The horse that I want to take a look at, though, is number five, Chula Girl. And Josh, I will bet you a beverage of your choosing at a reasonable price that you can't identify without looking the track abbreviation T-I-I. L. T I L. What the heck is T I L? Tijuana? No, they don't. They don't. What the heck is T I L? I can tell you if you want. Yeah, I have no idea. T I L is the Tillamook County Fair in Northern Oregon. And take a look at how many horses contested that one's last race. It was a match race. That's so funny. It was a match race at the Tillamook County Fair in Northern Oregon. This is why I love the fair circuit. You get horses from literally everywhere. And by the way, that horse was second beaten four lengths at odds of one to nine. So I want no part of that one in this particular spot. One, three or three, one for me in order to close out what for me is a $12 late pick four ticket. Again, I'm not going against fashionably fast. I'm buying the second leg. It's just a case where I'm hoping to catch a price and go against some of those uh, favorites there. You can see my ticket on the screen, but if you're listening in audio form, it goes two five with all with two, with one, three. $12 ticket. And honestly, it's one of those cases where I'm trying to extract some value out of fashionably fast. And if this pays $60, $80, I'm okay with it because I've turned him into a four to one or a five to one shot. Yeah. And and we're pretty similar on a couple of horses. Obviously the last leg, we're identical. Um, I'm one, two, with two, with three, four, with one, three. So the place we deviate is that third leg. You're you're singling the two. I'm I'm against. I'm tossing. So um, my guess is that next week 
one of us will be uh, gloating just annoyingly about uh, being right. We don't um, do that, do we? <laughs> I, I don't know. Or, or even more tragic is we're both wrong, just completely wrong, which, uh, you know, has definitely been known to happen. But uh, yeah, no, it was fun. It was fun looking at these races. I have, like I said, I haven't looked at fair racing very much. So this was a very fun exercise and looking at some of these horses, you know, trying to look at some of this form and some of these tracks that I've never even heard of, like the Tillamook County Fair. Shout out to Tillamook. They make very, very good cheese, ice cream, and I really, really like their cream cheese, actually. That's our that's our cream cheese of choice. We we get that when when we get bagels at uh, at the local grocery store Mariano's here. But uh, Andrew, obviously, you're going to be on stream with us for a little bit tomorrow morning. Uh, this is being recorded Friday night, so Saturday morning we'll be doing the um, Saturday starting gate. We'll be looking at Keeneland. But uh, what 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 else you got going on? Where can people find you and, and your work? Sure. The one-stop shop for all of that is my Twitter account, at Andrew Champagne. Been doing a lot of work for Katina Media. Started with them in January. Love what I do. The main site that I've been working on is playca.com. That's got all of the news and notes you need ahead of the election day battle between the two dueling California sports betting propositions. Pretty much any sort of information you want is going to wind up being there. Also helping to run a couple of the other sites in the Katina network. And of course, you know, giving out some horse tips from time to time through a variety of different places. So it's been a blast. I'm grateful for the opportunity I was able to get earlier this year and grateful for the understanding they have of my itch that I need to scratch as far as trying to find horses that turn left most efficiently. So it's been a blast looking forward to doing this, looking forward to the breeders cup in a couple of weeks, going to be a lot of fun and hopefully we'll have a lot of fun tomorrow. Uh, looking at Fresno. How is the uh, sports betting proposition looking for California? Two thumbs down there, right there. Yeah, Oof. not good. Um, Prop 26's organizers and Prop 27's organizers are more focused on defeating the other measure than they are of passing theirs. And as a result, both measures were trailing by double digits as of earlier this week and some independent polling that came out. Not good, but when you've got a market size like California is going to be when it inevitably launches sports betting, everybody wants a piece of the action. Yeah, there is a, and I'm actually looking up, there is a, another podcast I listen to. It's called You Can Bet on That. Um, it's two gentlemen, uh, Dr. Mike and, oh my goodness, why am I forgetting, why am I forgetting the other guy's name? You're clearly not actively listening. Yeah, it's the other, I... I can't believe I don't know why I, I'm uh, I'm blanking on their names, but um, it, it's a great great podcast. They talk about the recreational gambler. They do stuff with uh, like they have call-ins and stuff like that. It's it's a really really fun podcast. I always like listening to it. They're they're always they're just like two like older craps players. So they just like people call in talking about all their crap stories and like just like how stupid people are people are like at the craps table. Not not dumb as in like intelligent, but like just like the, the basically how people don't know how to act in, in public basically. So you get all kinds of funny stories and stuff like that. And they, but it, it's a really great podcast, but they were both based in California. So they talked a lot about the California sports betting um, propositions. And also I think in those uh, propositions are stuff with table games 
in California. I think they looped in like, hey, like you don't need cards. You can just play with dice and, and other things. So they're, they're very invested. They're very interested in it. But uh, one of the gentlemen was talking about like the commercials they had seen for all these uh, sports betting propositions. And he said one of them was basically like, uh, you already stole from the Indians. Don't steal from them again. And I was just like, oh my God, they're really they're 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 going for that angle. There like, are that's, a that's where of, the tribal casinos are going. Like, wow. Yeah, there are a bunch of commercials out there. There is one for no on prop twenty-seven that features people from New York and Boston acting obnoxiously because they've just stolen California's money. Because the angle that no one 27 is taking is that it funnels to out-of-state corporations like FanDuel and DraftKings, which are headquartered in, you guessed it, New York and Boston. And it features some of the most comical overacting you're ever going to see. But going back to that Prop 26 discussion, yes, Prop 26, if legalized, would allow tribal casinos to spread dice and roulette on their properties. It's about much more than just sports betting in that regard. The trade-off with Prop 27 is in addition to having to bet in person as opposed to on your phone, if it is passed, you will not be able to bet on California college teams. So if you're out there and you're saying, oh, I want to pass Prop 26 because I want to bet on UCLA or USC or Cal or Stanford, insert the Wade Barrett gif here where he says, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. It's one of those instances where in all likelihood, these two measures are not going to pass and it's going to force some people who had not entertained the thought of compromising to at least have to consider it ahead of 2024, which is the next time that it can possibly come up. Now, can we finish on a lighter note here? Because I have sure. a confession to make that I'm going to let you make fun of me. I don't know how to play crafts. <laughs> Every time I up in one of our group conversations that we're in, I do the Grandpa Simpson where I come in, put my hat on the rack, turn around, take the hat and leave. I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't know the fundamentals behind how you hold the dice. I don't know the fundamentals behind anything other than pass or don't pass. Anytime anybody starts talking about buying numbers and betting to come lines and all of that other stuff, I'm just like, this sounds like Greek hieroglyphics or Egyptian <laughs> hieroglyphics or wherever hieroglyphics come from. I'm just going to go over there and play blackjack. If, if you want to hear something even funnier, I've never, I've played craps a lot, but only the electronic type. Really? And one of my fears and the reason why I haven't played on that. Well, first of all, the limits are much lower now. So before now you can't five a $5, or $10 craps table in Vegas. No, uh, it's $15 at minimum. Usually 25. Yep. But the electronic tables or the, the big stadium ones, you can still find $5. So I'm like, okay, I'll play some $5 craps. Um, but my second, my second fear or second reason is I just have this fear that I'm going to go up with the dice and I'm just going to throw them and they're just going to go like, they're going to knock chips over. They're going to bounce off the table. And like, everyone's just going to look at me and like stare at me. I'm like, you know what? I'll just push the button and let it pop the dice up like Popomatic Trouble. Like I think I'm good with that. Um, but it's funny. Trouble, what a great yeah. game! Yeah, it's funny though because my my wife was the same way. She doesn't know how to play craps, and I just told her, "Look, just put five dollars on the pass line, and just let the drinks come." And sure enough, we were we were sitting at this electronic craps table probably for about two hours. We got blasted. 
just absolutely they just kept on coming with drinks and now mind you this was mid-pandemic so maybe part of it was just it was so dead in the casino um but we got blasted my wife ended up up like 25 dollars, and you know i think i might have lost like 20 bucks but we just sat there the entire time and just got free drinks and so i was like all right yeah that's craps and so my wife's like oh we should do that again and i was like yeah like it's fun but like there, there's all kinds of systems, you know. I, I, I listen to this podcast and I get confused, so I'm just a pass line better, and I'll play odds, and and that's about it. So, um, I just know you don't want to be the jerk that's betting don't pass every single time. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be that guy. Other than that, I got nothing. Yep, never play the dark side in craps. And you know what? I bet you Ed DeRosa plays the dark side in craps. He seems like oh, the kind of guy who play it. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know how? You know, how I, I think he views it as more of a lifestyle statement that shows people who he is. <laughs> well, thank you guys for uh, for listening to uh, the uh, first episode here, Drink and Champagne. We'll be back uh, next week at a undisclosed time. We'll we'll have to figure out when when it'll be convenient. But uh, yeah. Make sure you check us out on Thursday nights at uh, 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern. Uh, obviously, we do uh, the Saturday starting gate, um, and that time fluctuates. But tomorrow, we will be on at uh, 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern, uh, 9 a.m. Uh, Champagne time to uh, go ahead and talk through uh, some of the early at Keeneland. So check us out, and uh, thanks for listening.